We are continuing our series in the book of Exodus. Today we'll be reading from Exodus 2. As you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of his authority over us. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with vitamin and pitch. She put the child in it and placed among the reeds, placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young woman walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because, she said, I drew him out of the water. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. And when they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah, She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. This is God's word. You may be seated. Wow, great work, Heidi. That was, that was a long one. And these passages that we're reading through, they are going to get a bit long. I don't think we're going to read through necessarily the entire passage every week. And kind of in light of that, just as you're preparing to come in here and hear God's word week after week, which I hope that you do, um, I hope you come prepared. And one specific way that I'd encourage you to prepare is to read the entire passage of scripture that we're going to look at beforehand 
okay? You can read it throughout the week. You can read it to your kids. Um, read it on Sunday morning. Those passages of scripture are actually located, you can look them up in the weekly announcements that we put out on Realm that comes out every Wednesday. It lists the scripture passage for the coming Sunday. So pay attention to that, read that. Also, want to make sure you're aware there are scripture journals still over here on this table. That's the journals where you can scribble them up, write in them. It's just the book of Exodus. It's a great way to track with us as we're going through um, the book week by week. I, I love preaching through the book of Exodus. This has been a great joy. And one of the reasons I, this isn't here, I was just thinking about it. I, I just feel, every week, I'm just anticipating, what is God going to do this week? Because, as we've talked about multiple times, uh, this, the, the kind of the overarching theme of the book of Exodus is the God who makes himself known. You were made by God. That God is making himself known to you. That's what you were made for. It's exciting. Okay, so one summer, many summers ago, uh, during my college days, so that's how long ago we're talking about, I helped out um, at a little outdoor theater. I worked backstage. Uh, it was the musical, it was a musical theater type thing, uh, and we were putting on a production of Cinderella. The big moment for me as a backstage worker was I was, I was working with the special effects, and I am not some sort of special effects wizard, but there was a guy who knew what he was doing. And, and again, it was just a little small theater. Um, but he had a good idea what, what he would do. The big moment for Cinderella, as you can imagine, is the moment where the uh, pumpkin turns into the carriage and then goes back into the pumpkin. And so my job was to work the special effect where I'd essentially pull this gigantic curtain through a very small opening kind of housed inside of a cutout trash can, if you can kind of picture it. So... When that moment came, I would just yank with all of my might and run in the opposite direction to try to make it look like that carriage looked, turned into a pumpkin, into a pumpkin, into a carriage. It was pretty cool. It actually kind of worked. All the pieces coming together. Now, for the people watching that transformation take place, they were seeing one thing, right? They saw, hopefully, not some sort of like cheap imitation poor special effect, but they actually saw something of like a, you know, pumpkin transforming into a carriage. But for us, back behind stage, the little team that I was working with, we saw something completely different. It was honestly pretty chaotic at times. We were kind of seeing how the sausage was made, so to speak. Now, what does this have to do with Exodus? Exodus as a whole is an absolutely spellbinding, worship-producing, historic account of God's deliverance of his people. It's, it's, it really is. I would encourage you to try to read it all the way through or read it with your family at night or with your roommates. But for the people who are living it out at the time, talking specifically about the Israelites and Moses himself, for the people on stage, so to speak, it was incredibly bitter. That's what it talked about in chapter one. And yet, backstage, behind the scenes, God was at work. Now, question. I want to try to answer this every single week we go through Exodus because it can feel like such a faraway story from a faraway land and a faraway time. What does this have to do with us? Today, here's what I'm going to pray before we get started. What I've been praying before I walked into the room today, I'm asking God to help us trust him in our darkest days. I'm going to pray that God gives us a bold, sturdy type of faith in him. Type of faith that can 
in those days of darkness and gloom, see through it all and see waiting for us Christ and the reward that is found in him, greater than all earthly treasure. That's what I want to pray happens for all of us today. Where am I getting this idea? Hebrews 11, actually. And if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to start there today. And I I don't normally do this. I normally save these really quality Jesus punches to the very end. But I wanted to put it up front because I want you to understand the way that the way that this passage actually works. The writer to the Hebrews gives us a lot of clues. It's going to be up here on the screen. Hebrews 11. Uh, I, want, I want you to see this. Starting at verse 23. I'm going to read this. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Verse 24 of chapter 11, Hebrews. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. I want us to look to the reward in our darkest days. Chapter 11 of Hebrews is commonly referred to as the hall of faith. Many saints who trusted the Lord despite the difficulties that were around them. And it was written specifically for us, brothers and sisters, chapter 11 of Hebrews and also this section of Exodus, written to strengthen us on the weary road that we walk following God in Christ. It's meant to embolden us to lift us, to help us to trust in God, to strengthen our faith in the God who is there, the God who hears, remembers, sees, and knows. That's what we're going to pray right now. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we need you. Would you, in these moments... Cause us to grow in the fear of you and not the fear of man? Would you give us faith to treasure mistreatment by being associated with you as worth far more than anything else this world would offer? Would you, in these moments right now, give us eyes to see the reward that you have for us by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm asking you to do that, Lord. Open our eyes. Give us spiritual sight to behold wonderful things in your law today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this is, our, this is our introduction to Moses, okay? The book of Exodus is commonly associated with Moses. He's the one who wrote it. And this is where Moses comes on the scene. Let's pick up where we left off last. Verse 22 of chapter 1 says this, Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile and you shall let every daughter live. Okay, so at this moment in Israel's history, there are three threats. Three threats. The king, the people, and the river. Let me explain what happened. Okay, so what happened was three brave women happened, sent by God. Pharaoh's plan was kill the sons and will squash any kind of an uprising God decided, I will use my daughters to preserve my people. Three threats, 
Three threats that were disarmed by these three women. So the first threat, the river. That's the river Nile. Moses' mom saved him by building a boat, literally an ark. Isn't that interesting? And, the, and he's, that little ark, that little boat, saved him from the river. And it's important to know because the Nile River was actually viewed as an Egyptian god. The god could not have its prey. Moses' mom stepped in. What about the king, the threat of the king? The family that had decreed such violent, murderous rage against God's people was the very same family that God used to preserve Moses' life. Pharaoh's daughter. Her tender-hearted, compassionate love saved Moses. And what about the people? Well, how did God disarm this one? God, Pharaoh had commanded the people to kill all the Hebrew babies. But Moses' mother could actually walk around boldly with a little baby boy because he belonged to Pharaoh's daughter. How'd that happen? Moses' sister had guided her to Pharaoh's family and then right back to, to his, her own mother's arms again. So from the beginning of the chapter, what we're seeing on the stage, the onstage drama of Israel's hardship unfolding, but behind the scenes, we're seeing how God is sovereignly caring for his people. He's orchestrating their deliverance. I want to go back to that Hebrews passage one more time. I'm going to go back to verse 23 because it mentions specifically what happens here in Exodus. Verse 23 says this, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Moses' parents' decision to hide him for three months, which was risking their lives and probably the lives of other people as well, it came from faith. That's what I want us to see. They did not fear Pharaoh's edict. They feared God. There's no way that they could have known how this would work out. They could only see what was right in front of them. And what was right in front of them was death. That was the promise. That's what Pharaoh said. And so in order for him to be saved, that meant they would have to keep him quiet. I don't know, take him out to a field somewhere while they were working out there. Who knows what they did. But like the Hebrew midwives... As they acted in faith, as they acted in the fear of God, God provided for them. So really what I'm doing right now is I'm doubling down on last week's sermon. Last week's message, fear God, not man. Man cannot provide what we are looking for. Whether it's safety or fulfillment or satisfaction or love. Fearing God. Not, not being afraid of God, having faith in him, trusting him, it unlocks the storehouses of God's heavenly mercy and grace and kindness. Look at what this step of faith did. So, there's, this was a step of faith that, that Moses' parents took, of, fear, of fearing God that then sets in motion under the sovereign hand of God something pretty amazing. It's a fostering to adoption process. Do you see that? That's what, set, that's what their step of faith set in motion. So many of you foster and adopt. Or you support and help those who do. And I am so thankful for you. I praise God for you. I love that that is interwoven to the culture 
of here at Christ Community. It is an act of faith in the God who will provide. That's what these women are doing. That's what you do. I just want to exhort you from God's word, brothers and sisters, if, if that's you, continue to trust him. He will provide. He will provide. And I should also mention this. Sometimes, as we think about the fact that this is showing us um, Moses' parents' step of faith, sometimes letting go of kids is an act of faith too. Think about what Moses' mom did. She had to let go of her son. She had to entrust him to God. It's actually happened several times in the Bible. Hannah and her son Samuel, she had to let go of her son Samuel and trust him to God. And even Mary, with Jesus on the cross, had to let go of her son. Sometimes the bravest thing a mother or a father can do is one of the greatest acts of faith that they can do is to entrust their child who actually belongs to God even more than he belongs to him or her to God. That's a hard thing to do. But that's what we see Moses' parents doing here. They entrust their child that they love so much to the God who cares even more for that child. And then we read this, verse 11. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Okay, that little phrase, one day when Moses had grown up, that represents 40 years 40 years of time between his birth and being raised in Pharaoh's house, getting the top education, having exposure to the greatest wealth and resources and lifestyle that the world had to offer at that time. That was all represented in that little phrase, one day when Moses had grown up. How do we know that? Skipping ahead to Acts chapter 7, verse 23, Stephen is standing before the council of the religious leaders at that time, and he says this, Acts 7, 23 says, when he, Moses, was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. So 40 years of time happened there. And what we see is actually that God had built Moses for this moment. If you remember what's about to unfold... God actually was doing something in Moses, in those Egyptian classrooms, in Pharaoh's house, getting him ready for these moments that are about to follow. Look at what happens. Moses did not leverage his position. For 40 years, he had access to all the riches of Egypt, to Pharaoh's family, to the best education, food, lifestyle. He was wealthy. He had everything that he'd need, but he did not stay there. Something switched. Something happened in his heart, in his mind. He, he, it says he went out in verse 11. That, means, that meant that he actually went out of the palace and he went to his people. Twice it says his people. This is an act of boldness, bravery, connection. He didn't leverage his position in Pharaoh's court for himself. He knew who he was. He became a slave in those moments. This is what he's doing. He became a slave to rescue the slaves. Here's the second thing we see about Moses. He was not afraid of his call. In Stephen's speech, if we're continuing that passage, this is what it says. So this is Acts 7 again. 
When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they did not understand. To some degree, Moses felt called by God called to go to his people, to defend his people, to help his people. And he took action. And so when he saw that Egyptian that was mistreating one of his brothers, he killed him. Moses thought that this was the moment that he had been brought to by God. He felt God had called him to be this man. Here's the third thing we see about Moses. He would not tolerate injustice. He avenged the mistreatment of his own people. When, when that Egyptian was mistreating that Hebrew brother of his, he killed him. And later on in this passage, we see that he defends some women who were being mistreated by some other shepherds. And even though his people would reject him here, as we're going to see, he didn't go after his people. He didn't respond unjustly to them. He would not tolerate injustice. I recently read about um, a Civil War officer named Robert Gould Shaw. Some of you know who this is. He was depicted in the movie Glory uh, a number of years ago. He accepted command of the 54th Massachusetts Regiment of the Northern Union Army during the Civil War. This was the first all-black regiment. They fought together, and when it came time for them to receive pay... Uh, they were given checks, given them compensation for what they had done. The black soldiers had been promised the same as the white soldiers, but when they received their pay, it was unequal. The black soldiers had received far less. So those soldiers ripped up their checks in injustice. Robert Gould Shaw, he had a moment. He had to make a decision. He ripped up his check too. Why? Why? He wanted to associate with these brothers that he loved so much. His fellow soldiers with whom he served. Moses here is ripping up the check of his life in Egypt. It was essentially a blank check. He could do whatever he wanted. And he ripped it up to be with his people. Now... This is a moment to mark in the book of Exodus as this narrative unfolds. He's 40. Moses is 40, right? He thought, and it sure seems like, based on those character qualities that we just talked about, it seemed like he was ready to lead the people to freedom, to liberate them. Jesus said this, For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. Faith in God drove Moses to associate with his people. He wanted what God would provide more than the fleeting pleasures of Egypt. And that life that Moses is pursuing, that true life in God, is now going to lead him on a winding path, a hard road. I am 42. There you have it. I'm about Moses' age. Most of you in this room, you're younger than me. Moses is 40, right? He's so ready to change the world for God. 
And God says, I'm going to send you to the wilderness. Maybe you've got plans. Maybe you've got a passion for God. You don't want to be thrown off the path if it's hard. In fact, that is the path that God's people walk. I want you guys to hear this. I want you guys to receive this. This is a very important part of the Christian walk. The gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. It is so easy in moments of difficulty to think that you're not on the path or, that you're thro- or you want to walk away from the path. Don't get thrown off the path. Here's what happened. Moses saw the unjust beating of that Hebrew slave by the Egyptian and he killed him. And then the very next day, Moses sees one Israelite fighting another Israelite, brother fighting brother. The first one, the first, first what happened to him is they rejected him. Verse 14 of Exodus 2. Who made you a prince and a judge over us? And then they shocked him. Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Somehow, some way, the news got out. And it got out quickly. Pharaoh had heard of it too. In verse 15, that's what it says. Most likely, what happened was that Hebrew slave that Moses had saved got scared. He wanted to cover his own backside. So he went and told everybody else and said, hey, look, I didn't do this. I just want you to know, I didn't kill this guy. And overnight, Moses' plans, what he thought that God had brought him into, the path, the life that God had, had brought him to, had called him to in that moment, it all starts to unravel. Do you see that? And so he runs. He runs to Midian, which is a desert. It's located several days' journey from Egypt in the southeast. That area, the Midianites, those were distant relatives of the Hebrew people through Abraham. And he sits down by a well. Some women come along to water their father's flock. Some shepherds come up, start to mistreat them, treat them unjustly. He chases them away. And you see, Moses has the same heart. He sees this injustice and he fights for it. He stood up for him. He saved them. That's verse 17. And then, in an ironic twist, after his own people reject his deliverance, these foreigners invite him in. The father says, come have a meal with me. In fact, why don't you stay a while? Why don't you marry my daughter? The passage that we started with today opens with a baby being born, and it closes with a baby being born. And what that's by design. Moses' child this time. God's promises are still alive. That comes to us from chapter 1. God is still at work. But Moses does something peculiar here. He names his son Sojourner, or it could be translated Foreigner. That's how he feels. That's who he is at that time. Moses, think about it. Think about what we just tracked through, and I know I've given you a lot. It's a big passage today. I hope you're tracking with me, though, because we're about to pull this together. Moses, the miracle child, preserved by God's gracious hand through three women, Faith stirred in his heart to reject the sin of Egypt and stand up for his people. And then he's rejected and despised. So he runs. This, this act of Moses, especially starting in verse 11 and going forward, it starts with faith. And then in verse 14, it tells us that he ran out of fear. So why is this happening? What's going on? 
This is what we see on stage, what's happening behind the scenes. Brothers and sisters, this is what I alluded to earlier. Sometimes we have to go to the wilderness. In fact, I'd argue that in order for God to use us, he has to take us to the wilderness. What's the wilderness? Well, the physical world is a good picture of what's going on in the internal world. It's bleak, desolate, lonely. That's what wilderness is. Moses thought life was going to be one way. And now it is completely different. He thought that he was going to be a somebody. I'm going to be a deliverer. But now it turns out he's actually a nobody in the middle of nowhere. Many of you are in a wilderness right now. I thought I was somebody. I thought I was going to do something. I thought my life was going to be a certain way. But I'm actually a nobody. I thought my life would go like this. But now it's completely different. Wildernesses can last a long time. 40 years for Moses. That's how long he's going to be here. In Midian. 40 years for the people of Israel. Once they get out there. Maybe you thought you'd be out of Champaign-Urbana by now. You can't believe you're still working the same old job. You can't believe you're still in school. You cannot believe that you're up all night with another baby. You had other plans for your life. You can't believe you're not living the dream that you'd envisioned for yourself so long ago. Here's one thing that we can learn from Moses' time in the wilderness. God is not wasting your time. He's not wasting your life, wherever he's got you right now. God's not wasting whatever difficulty he's brought into your life right now. He may have you in some obscure location like Midian or Savoy or Urbana or Champaign, but he's up to something in you. He is. Often, he's preparing you. For what specifically? I don't know. I don't know, but I do think scripture shows us this. Think about Moses. He had all kinds of good character at this moment, okay? Compassion for injustice, a sense of calling to the cause, a willingness to go low, to lay aside power for the sake of others. That's the kind of leader I want to follow. The fact is, though, Moses had, though he had all kinds of good character, it was not enough. He lacked something. So what did Moses lack? There's a verse that God often draws to my, my, to my mind when I think about times in the wilderness. It's kind of random. It's from Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 5. And it says this. You can just listen to me. Who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? I love that picture. What Moses lacked and what brings the, the wilderness from the wilderness is it brings a posture of dependence, of leaning on our beloved, of leaning on our Father God. 
The wilderness often brings us to the end of ourselves, which is precisely where God wants us to be, the end of ourself. The Lord says this, unless the Lord builds the house, its laborers labor in vain. Jesus said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Let me say it differently. In the word of God, mere human effort, however well-intentioned, committed, or influential, it results in failure. The only way forward is if God is on our side, brothers and sisters. If God is for us, that's how we move forward. If God works on our behalf. Oftentimes, God brings us through the way of, way of failure to bring us to the place of effectiveness. And how are we effective? We trust in God. We lean on him. We look to him. We call out to him. And he hears, remembers, sees, and knows. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. You, you might even remember back to a sermon that, that I gave a long time ago, 1 Corinthians 15. It, we talked about resurrection life. And we talked about how death is actually a doorway to true life, to life because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Death has no more sting because of him. In life, we will die. That's what I'm trying to say. Just like Moses is, is right here. We will die again and again and again. Big ways and small ways. Big wildernesses, small wildernesses. And every time that happens, somebody cuts you off when you're driving. It's killing you. Job situation's going really bad. It's killing you. Whatever it is, every moment is a small or a large wilderness opportunity to die to ourselves and rise with Christ to experience the fellowship that comes in the midst of hardship. Jesus knows. He knows what you're going through. Our God is the God who knows. That's what we see in this passage, not just merely intellectually, but experientially. Look at verses 23 through 25. We're bringing it to a close now. Verse 23 through 25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. Verse 24. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Forty years in the palace, and now forty years in the desert. And Israel is groaning in slavery. This is brutal. And the groans then transform. They become cries for help, prayers to God for rescue. And those prayers came up to God. Those are ac- that's access to him. And they move him. In this little section, we see four powerful verbs that I really hope as you go through the wildernesses of life, as your faith is stirred, perhaps even this morning in him, four verbs that will stoke the fires of your faith even more. Here they are. God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant. God saw the people and God knew. This is here to draw you toward God in faith in those darkest of days. 
to lean on him in your wilderness moments so that when you come out of the wilderness, you are leaning on your beloved's arm. God hears. He actually hears your prayers, brothers and sisters. This is the behind the scenes, totally sovereign work of God. The prayers that you would pour out to him Look, I understand. Sometimes it feels like, I've, I've talked about this before, sometimes it feels like a, uh, an idol, an actual idol that I saw in China where people would take their prayers, they'd write them down on a piece of paper, make them sticky with spit, and then throw them, fling them at the idol, hoping that that prayer would stick to the idol because if it stuck to the idol, then that prayer was heard and answered. That is not how our God works. He hears he responds. Your prayers matter. They count. They aren't throwaway, wishful balls of spit and paper. God remembers. Specifically, he remembers his covenant. Question, is God forgetful? Does he like need like a tile tag on his keychain like I do because I lose my keys all the time? No, he does not. When God remembers in the Bible, what it means is he's moving toward the object of his remembrance. If God forgets, he's refusing to respond. In Exodus 1, we saw that God was remembering the promises that he made to Adam and Eve and Abraham. The promise to bless you, multiply you, make a nation out of you, give you a land, give you a home. This love, this covenantal love, this is what he's remembering. It is an unbreakable love. He will not forget that toward his people. He remembers. You know what he forgets? What scripture says he often forgets? our sins. The new covenant says this from Jeremiah 31. They will know me and I will remember their sins no more. You know what that means? God doesn't just hold your sins over your head. He's not like some sort of nagging, you know, aunt or uncle or parent just swatting you on the head saying, when will you get it together? When will you, when will you figure things out? When will you? No. God remembers, what he remembers is his covenant, steadfast love toward you. Prayer, crying out to God, accesses that love. God sees. My heart breaks for the people in this room who feel unseen. I was thinking about that this morning. And I want you to know on the, on the authority of God's word that he sees you. Your God sees you. Not just the junk in your life, not just the sin, but he sees you as a whole person that he sent his son to save. God knows. Some Bible translations don't do this quite right. It's literally two words. It's literally God knew. And this is one of my absolute favorite qualities of God. This isn't head knowledge. This is experiential knowledge. This is compassion, empathy, what you feel, I feel. That's what God's saying. In Isaiah, it says about Jesus that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. It says that he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Jesus stood right in front of the, the tomb of his friend Lazarus and he wept. This reminds me of an old black spiritual from the days of slavery here in the U.S., Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. 
I know many of you are suffering right now. And it breaks my heart. When I was writing this section, I was crying in my office for you all. And those were tears of sadness for you because I know what's going on in so many of your lives. But those tears were not only tears of sorrow. These tears right now are not only tears of sorrow. They are joy. Because he really does know. Jesus really does know what you're going through. Sometimes the greatest comfort is to do exactly what God does right here. Having somebody come up to you and just say, I hear you, I see you, I know it hurts, I care about you, I love you. And that's what the God of all creation does for us. He came and he dwelt among us. He's not ivory towered out there. He knows our sorrows. And he's going to bring us through those sorrows to what he's promised for us, to Emmanuel's land. And there it is, the reward. That's what Moses saw by faith in the darkest of days. That's what I'm urging you this morning to believe. That Jesus has led the way on the hard road that leads to life, to eternal life, to this great reward that awaits us. Have faith, brothers and sisters in the unseen God, at work in a million ways behind the scenes in your life right now. Have faith and pray your prayers move the God who is sovereign over all things. Have faith in the Lord who knows, knows so much that he left heaven and experienced the very things, the very sorrows that we've experienced. He too was rejected by his people and he did not shrink back. He went to the cross He despised the shame and he is seated at the right hand of God. He reigns even over your present darkness, even over your wilderness. He rules and he hears, he remembers, he sees, and he knows. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would take what you've taught us today from your word and apply it to our hearts. Specifically, Lord, that you would help us to have faith in you. In those darkest of days, stir our faith to trust you, to look forward to the great reward that we have through faith in you, the Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.